This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 187 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, I'm recording this one a little bit early this week because those of us here in Florida are preparing for Hurricane Ian. Um, I'm hoping that it's more of a tropical storm when it gets to my area, but that's not something you really take a chance on. So you have to prepare for the worst. And we've had a couple scares here and there over the years. The last one, uh, or the last bad one for me, I should say, was probably Hurricane Irma in 2017, which ended up being a Category 2, which you know could have been a lot worse, but it was still bad. Uh, we got winds up to about 100 miles per hour. And there was about an hour where the eye of the storm was going over us and things were pretty scary. You know, the house is shaking, the walls are creaking. I am keep peeking back at the porch screen to see if it's still intact. And and thankfully, everything stayed intact. We didn't sustain any major damage, but um, that was a pretty nerve-wracking experience in 2017. So, you know, here we go again, right? Here we go through it again. So if anyone else is going through that this week, just know that I empathize with your situation. Please, please, please. Do everything you can to make sure that you and your family stay safe. And speaking of keeping things safe, Mrs. Wax Museum suggested that I open today's show by talking about how to protect your collection against natural disasters, which I think it's a good idea, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today. So real quick, I I guess I would say the biggest thing is use your common sense. Store things in safe spots. Keep records of what you own. Consider insuring your collection if you haven't done so already. I went through some of that stuff in the intro to episode 26, albeit not in a lot of detail, but I'm not going to run through all of that again. Just know I've covered it a little bit before. So what am I going to talk about here today? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, Over the course of the last week or two, I've been working on a little project where I rank my 50 favorite cards in my PC. And you might have noticed that I already started the countdown on Instagram, and bear with me, there are parts of that app that always manage to confuse me. Um, I'm feeling progressively older with each passing day, especially trying to use technology and social media. But like I said, um, I've been wrestling with that list, in addition to social media, I've been wrestling with the list itself for a little bit now. I'm not going to reveal all of the cards on here. In fact, I'm not really going to reveal any of them. I mean, I might mention a couple of them in the main segment, but I'll save that for social media and YouTube. I am, however, going to talk a little bit about the process and why I think it's a worthwhile activity to consider. It's not just something that I did just for content, um, because it really helped me put some things into perspective, 
and it also reinforced the importance of the pyramid approach that's been talked about many times on this show before, so you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But first, here's this week's installment of Collector Classifieds. Hi, this is Kevin on Instagram at kevin.m.cormier, and I'm looking for help completing the 2001 Fleer nameplates patch set. These are the rounded edge cards that look like license plates. Uh, I look at any player because I might even look at patch upgrades if I already have it. Uh, and I'm also looking for any low-numbered Skylar Diggins-Smith parallels. Thanks, Kyle, for having me on, and enjoy the show. Okay, so thanks to Kevin for his submission this week. You might have also heard him at one point on the Sports Card Therapist podcast, uh, talking with Rob about his Bo Jackson collection, among other things. If you haven't listened to that, make sure you check it out. And then, as he mentioned just a moment ago, he's looking for help finding the 2001-2002 Fleer nameplates patch set, and then also rare Skylar Diggins-Smith parallels. And I'll try and plug his account at some point throughout the course of the next week, and let's see if we can't help Kevin out. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey, this is Bob Nettleke, former Indiana Pacer. Played on a few championship teams, had a lot of fun. You know, I'm listening to the Wax Museum Podcast, one of the best there is. Okay, so as you guys know, it's the off-season, and things are a little slow right now. Um, even though we did just have media day, at least that was something, right? Um, but... Everything, though, for the most part, is pretty slow. Similarly, the basketball card scene has reached a bit of a standstill. And, of course, Panini's not really putting out anything of substance. So, a couple of weeks ago, I was brainstorming, what can I do with my collection that might allow me to enjoy it in a new way and create a little bit of content in the process? And that got me thinking about creating some sort of a list. Now, I've been a little apprehensive about doing lists in the past, mainly because I assume people were burnt out on them, because we've seen a lot of big lists on hobby social media. But I put a poll out asking if people would be interested in hearing about my top 50 cards, and the results were pretty favorable, so I decided to do it. Um, with that being said, like I said earlier in the episode, I'm not going to talk about all 50 cards on the podcast itself. I'll save that more for Instagram and YouTube. That way I can give you plenty of visuals as well. That was some of the feedback that I got. We want to see the cards, right? Which I think that's a, a pretty simple but reasonable request. Um, so today, though, I still want to take some time to talk a little bit about the exercise in general. I want to describe how I worked through it because maybe you're, you know, you'll be wanting to do something like this on your own. Um, I wanted to give you a breakdown of what kinds of cards ended up on the list, and then I plan to close with a few reflections now that everything has been decided. I think that'll be a good way to get this whole thing started. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this project, and I've already recorded, uh, I think, about a dozen of the videos. I recorded those the other night. That was a lot of fun. So um, as for the, you know, making the list itself, when I first pulled people to see if they'd be interested in a list of my top 50 cards, a number of people asked me to clarify what exactly that meant. Is it the most valuable? Is it the most popular? Are they the most searched for cards? 
Um, so when I say my top 50 cards, I just mean my 50 favorite cards that I own. So in order to prevent confusion going forward, I've labeled it just that, my 50 favorite cards. So let's talk about the process here. I'd never done this before, so I was basically just figuring it out as I went. I decided my first order of business was going to be coming up with 50 cards in no particular order. And a lot of times when I'm brainstorming, I like to see things on paper first. That goes for work, that goes for the podcast. I just like to see things on paper. So I printed out a numbered list that had 50 blank lines on it. And I decided I was going to write down any cards that immediately came to my mind. Because chances are, if I can think of them in the moment there, or if I can think of them off the top of my head, they're going to be some of my top cards. So that generated about 15 to 20 cards that became my non-negotiables early on. And while I said I wasn't ranking them yet, I kind of slotted them in the top 15 spots so I could rearrange them there later on. It was easier to do this in chunks. Make your top 15 um, and, and go from there. So then I decided to pull up my Flickr account and look through my albums. And as I was doing this, I was kind of wrestling with this weird feeling about cards that for whatever reason, quote, should be on the list, be it because of value or hobby reputation, or in some cases that someone gifted it to me. You know, I'm thinking, well, I paid X amount of dollars for this. Surely it should be one of my top 50. Um, that's not necessarily the case. Or, you know, this was a very generous gift from such and such. Um, I like the card. I like that person. This should be high on my list. That's not necessarily the case. And while those components might factor into it uh, or into some cards being included, I didn't want to feel obligated to put them there. I had to come to grips with the fact that excluding a card from the list wasn't an indictment on the card itself. Because the truth of the matter is I've been collecting for a long time, so 50 cards is a very small percentage of my PC. Just because a card doesn't make the list doesn't mean it's not important to me, or it doesn't mean I don't like it. You know, maybe I just prefer others better. And you'll see that I have some you know, definite biases when it comes to my top 10. A lot of them are from the same players and the same era. Okay, so eventually all 50 slots were filled on that piece of paper, and I decided to shelf the whole process for a day to sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, let things marinate. And I'm glad I did, because I realized later that day that I left out a Pete Maravich auto. I knew there were going to be cards like that, that, you know, for whatever reason I had omitted them or just forgot about them in the moment. So I had to sort of pencil that Maravich auto in on the bottom at, at number 51, and I would then have to figure things out later on. So then my next step involved taking this list and typing it out in Excel. Um, even though I like seeing things on paper, once that part's done, it, it's not easy to manipulate them when they're on paper. You're just drawing a bunch of arrows. You're doing all sorts of things. So if I put them on Microsoft Excel, that way I could just cut and paste anytime I wanted to change up the order. I knew my top five for sure. The next 10 or so, I was able to wrestle my way through. Um, and then I figured out my final 5 to 10. So it was kind of easier to do the ones that I liked the most, the ones that I liked the least. And that left me with about 25 cards in between. I did the best I could to rank those. But honestly, they're all interchangeable to an extent. You could take card number 20 and card number 30, and they're pretty close in importance to me. You could swap them, and I probably wouldn't know the difference. Now... All throughout this process, just like I had with that Maravich Auto, continuing through the process, there was this lingering feeling 
in the back of my mind that I was probably missing a few cards. So now that I had my list of 50, and actually a few more, and everything was ranked, I went back through a couple of my main boxes, and I'm glad I did because I found another six or seven cards in there that I ended up including, and a couple of them were even top 20. So that also tells me that uh, my organization and, and scanning cards in isn't as um, up to date as I thought it was. So that was a good indicator for me that, hey, I need to fix some of this stuff as well. Okay, so the list was written out, the list was typed, everything got ranked, new cards were added, everything was re-ranked. From there, I made the decision that I would not go back and keep shuffling things around. Although, um, when I was typing this up, I did go back and I actually bumped a Danny Granger gold RPA off the list as I was typing this. As you can tell, that was a tough decision. Um, But like I said earlier, a lot of these cards are interchangeable. So at some point, though, I have to leave the list as is. Otherwise, I'll end up wrestling with this thing for way too long. Okay, before I give you a breakdown of what kind of cards were included... I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, which, by the way, um, I got a decent amount of these cards from that website. So ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC Marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. All right, so now that you know how I made the list, I want to talk a little about the kinds of cards that made their way on there. Chances are, if you're listening today, you've been with me here for a while. So if I ask you, hey, listener, what types of cards do you think I included on my list? Uh, You'd come up with some answers pretty quick. I imagine there's already some popping in your head. Um, You'd probably guess Pacers cards, and that would be correct. 24 of the 50 cards, which is almost half of them, were Pacers. And I'm surprised that number wasn't a little higher, and truth be told, it probably should have been. For example, I really, really, really like Pacers' tops total gold parallels and also the, the tops total printing plates. I've been hunting them on and off for over 15 years, and it's one of my top five Pacers chases. But I didn't put a single one of those on this list because there's not one specific one out of the bunch that really sticks out to me. I didn't really know how to handle that. So maybe I need to do a different list for just types of cards that I'm pursuing. Uh, Similarly, I really, really want to find more Jumbo Pacers, Topps Big Game patches. Um, That's another one of my top chases. And I have six or seven of those, but I only put two on the list. I guess I didn't want things to get too repetitive. Same thing with NBA Finals Pacers patches. I only put the Reggie on the list. Um, But, you know, it is what it is. Now, speaking of relics, you probably guessed that part as well. 32 of my 50 favorite cards were relics, whereas only 11 were autographed. And, of course, a few had both. Um, Continuing on, you might have guessed Hall of Famers or Top 75 guys. That was roughly half the list as well. And keep in mind, when I give all of these stats, there might be some overlap. For example, Reggie Miller is a former Pacer, he's a Hall of Famer, and he's in the top 75. Um, now, you also might have guessed Vintage. And uh, I, you know what, I have to address this here real quick. little side note, but 
Earlier this week, someone on the blowout forums defined vintage as anything before 1997. Um, and my my first thought of that, I cringed. And I'm not trying to be, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to be on my high horse here or anything like that. Um, because I get it. It's, it's 25, you know, the cards have been out 25 years. So in some other industries, yes, vintage clothing or whatever, that would be considered vintage. Um, I feel like cards are a little different, though, and a part of me wonders, you know, is all of this stuff going to get redefined by new people that are entering the hobby? And if it does, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But anyway, 1997 is not vintage to me. I think when it comes to basketball cards, and it's different with all types of cards, but when it comes to basketball, I think 86 Fleer forms a pretty good line in the sand. Anything before that, to me, is considered vintage, so... Um, anyway, end of that side little conversation about vintage cards. Um, but I had nine vintage cards on my list. And on top of that, I had some modern cards that featured vintage players. I still count those as modern, though, because the cards themselves are modern. So nine vintage total, which is about 18% of my list. Here are some other quick stats for you that um, at least I thought were interesting. If you were to break the numbers down for each manufacturer... I had 19 Panini cards, 18 tops, 7 upper deck, and 6 Fleer. And that doesn't mean that I like them in that order necessarily. It's more indicative of the types of cards that I collect. Uh, Panini's been around long enough to make a, a lot of nice memorabilia cards, and they're the only manufacturer that we've really had for the last dozen or so years. And then um, Tops was second. You know, you have to consider they've been, even though they haven't been around those 12 years with basketball cards, they, um, you know, have a storied history. So a lot of the vintage stuff was from Tops, And then now Fleer had the fewest amount of cards on my list. If you think about it, what did Fleer focus on during their run? Inserts. And there was only one true insert on my list. Uh, the next closest thing was a PMG, but that's a parallel. And by the way, you might have seen it already. The PMG was number 50 on my list. So that, um, I don't know. Hopefully that, that indicates to you that this is a list you're going to enjoy if a PMG is number 50. It might just mean that I'm delusional. Um, but I don't know. Stay, stay tuned for that. You can watch it and you can decide for yourself. All right, something else that uh, didn't really surprise me. So I guess, you know, part of this list kind of reinforced some things I already knew. But it didn't surprise me that only 11 of the 50 cards were slabbed and only one of those I slabbed myself. Um, like I said, that doesn't surprise me, but there are still times where um, I'll post a card show pickup or something I got in the mail on uh, Instagram, and especially when I do it on Reddit, people will ask me when I'm sending it in for grading, or why I haven't sent it in for grading, or why I'm not going to send it in for grading. It's going to take this hobby a long time to come to grips with the fact that we don't need to slab every card. And if, if you choose to do that, that's fine. Um, I'm not opposed to grading, but that's just not really my thing. So I'm talking about my list today. Like I said, not really my thing, especially with memorabilia cards. I just don't want to slab those. And I'm not really interested in slabbing one-on-ones either. And speaking of one-on-ones, um, as I continue the stats here, 10 of my 50 cards were one-on-ones. Uh, nine of them are actually stamped on the card, and then it, the 10th is an early logo man from 2002 where they only printed one, but they didn't even note that on the card. Um, I'll also add, I'm not the kind of collector that likes a card just because it's stamped 101. 
it needs to be a tag or it needs to be an awesome patch. There has to be something other than the foil to differentiate it from the other parallels of that card. Okay, so to close this one out, earlier I mentioned that this activity was a way for me to enjoy my collection in a new way, and a way to make more content in the process. Any excuse to take out a box or to open up a binder and flip through it again is a good one for me. It's always nostalgic, it's always therapeutic, right? Especially uh, considering the fact that 15 cards on the list were from my favorite era of collecting, which is a very small era, by the way. It's 2003 to 2006. I felt like the exercise was also a good method to help reinforce my approach to purchasing. I can look at the trends that I naturally gravitate toward and keep moving in that direction. And as you can see, I like Jumbo Pacers patches from the early to mid-2000s. Well, those don't show up often. And what I find sometimes, while I'm waiting for them to show up, I, I get really tempted to buy other stuff. Um, so if I'm spending big money on a card and it doesn't move into my top 10 or my top 20, I probably need to think long and hard about that purchase. It doesn't necessarily mean that it shouldn't happen, but I just need to be careful. And this all goes back to the um, Alex Connell collection and his concept of the collection pyramid that I referenced earlier. I can't emphasize it enough. I think that's a really valuable tool when it comes to curating a collection, and that was also reflected in the curation of this list. All right, there you have it. That's all I've got for you this week. I've uh, got to move on and focus on some hurricane prep for the rest of the day here. But like I said earlier, I wanted to focus mainly on the process of making the list and what all that entailed. If you want to see the actual cards that made the list, Keep an eye out on my YouTube and my social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.